The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks set to bounce back a bit following Monday's big hit. Futures, they are higher across the board. All this as investors around the world take a closer look at China's Evergrande Group, the most indebted real estate company in the world, J.P. Morgan's Joyce Chang is here to weigh in. But it's not just contagion risk from China. How options and market structure also played a role in the sell-off. We will break it down for you. The Federal Reserve kicking off its two-day policy meeting today. Will the markets force them to keep pushing back their taper timeline? And it's day two of our two-week series, Go Big or Go Home. David Katz is here with his top picks and some, dare we say, random but useful data on the market's recent downturn. It is Tuesday, September 21st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. It is a busy Tuesday. Let's get right now to it and check your morning money. See if we're going to get some fall through selling or we're going to bounce back. And it looks like we're going to split the middle. We are seeing stock futures on the Dow right now up 350, up nearly 1%. So futures, they are solidly higher. But of course, all the major averages took a big tumble on Monday. In fact, ending down nearly, but not quite 2%. The Dow falling more than 650 points. So Right now, the futures indicating we'll gain about half that back. Now, there is one potential upside. We did yesterday end well off our lows. Buyers coming in in really just the last 15 to 20 minutes. In fact, the Dow closed 300 points from its low of the session. So why the big down move in the first place? Well, kind of depends on who you ask. The debt crisis of China's second biggest real estate developer, Evergrande, of course, that grabbed all the headlines. But others say there were things like technical or options-related reasons for the selling as well. We'll get to more on that with Chris Murphy in a few minutes. So what did rise on Monday? Well, fear, for one thing. The volatility index, the VIX, up nearly 30% to its highest level since May. The U.S. dollar and gold also rose just a touch. Now, we have called this the everything rally because everything had been going up, right? But Well, Monday, pretty much everything went down. It wasn't just stocks. It was things like oil, natural gas, even silver, and many other commodities. Crypto, a big part of that. In fact, crypto, you could say, got hit the hardest of all. Most of the major coins losing value right now. They are mixed. Bitcoin down 1.5%, while Ethereum down just a touch as well. All right, let's go now around the world. As our name says, and overnight, Asia still coming back from a long holiday weekend and continuing to digest that news out of China. 
Trading in Europe is just underway as well. Let's get the global wrap. Jumana Brissetche in London. With that, good morning, Jumana. Good morning, Brian. The theme overnight is one of stabilization. Let me just take you to Asian markets. As you mentioned, Chinese equities still on holidays, so uh, not a lot to read through from the Shanghai Composite. Hang Seng, you can see finally some green emerging in the overnight session, up half a percentage point. There was an S&P report released overnight suggesting that the Evergrande situation would be limited just to Evergrande uh, and thereby dispelling some of the fears of broader contagion. That helped give some support to this market. But of course, uh, we we do have that massive bond payment coming up in the next 10 days. So it's not a story that's going away anytime soon. The Nikkei, back from holiday, and you can see that it was just playing catch-up with some of the global markets yesterday, so a session of deep declines down about two percentage points. But the picture for Europe, very positive indeed, Brian. You can see every single one of these bourses is trading nicely in the green. Yesterday, the stock 600 as a whole was down about 1.6 percentage points. This morning, it's up one, so has almost recuperated the losses from yesterday. FTSE 100 up about one percentage point. We've got airlines reacting really well. The parent company of British Airways, IAG, right at the top today, up about five percentage points. This after you guys, the Americans, have announced that you're opening your borders up to European travelers. So it has been a very positive session for European airlines. Cacarante in France up 1.2 percentage points. And then Zetradax also up a similar amount with some of the cyclicals doing quite well today. A very quick look at sectors because almost every single one in Europe is trading in the positive. Insurance up 1.5%. Tech up 1.5%. It got very heavily hit in yesterday's trading. And then oil and gas, a basket we've obviously all been watching very, very closely, up 1.6 percentage points as well. Another very strong day for miners too, which got clobbered yesterday, Brian. Yeah, allowing Europeans to come back and visit us. We look forward to it as well. Kind of a quiet bit of good news on a tough market day. Jumana Brissetche, thank you. All right, right now, though, let's get to some of this morning's other top stories. You're very welcome, including the latest on the upcoming fiscal cliff and the race to fund the American government. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Brian. That's right, Brian. So the SEC is issuing its latest warning to investors looking to put money to work in Chinese companies listed on U.S. stock exchanges. In an alert yesterday, the regulator detailed the potential risks in putting money to work in companies that have contracts but no actual control over their Chinese entity. And Goldman Sachs says India could surpass the United Kingdom as the world's fifth largest stock market by 2024. From its report, Goldman says Indian startups have raised some $10 billion dollars through IPOs so far this year, and the pipeline for future listings is expected to remain strong over the next two years. Based on its calculations, as many as 150 private firms could potentially list on the stock market over the next 36 months, adding as much as $400 billion of market value. And House Democrats say they will try to pass a bill that both prevents a government shutdown and suspends the U.S. debt limit until the end of next year as they try to dodge two possible crises in one move. Congress faces a September 30th deadline to fund the federal government. Separately, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has told lawmakers that the U.S. will likely not be able to pay its bills sometime in October if Congress does not suspend or raise the debt ceiling. Brian? Yeah, fiscal cliff certainly is a part of the whole market story right now, and it's creeping up on us every day. So we'll see in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, let's get back now to the markets. And we could see a bit of a bounce back today. Futures, they are higher across the board. Dow futures up about 350. 
All this as we digest a number of potential market headwinds. Kind of, here's the rundown. Of course, obviously the sudden debt crisis in China with real estate developer Evergrande. You've also got the Fed meeting starting today and the upcoming unwinding of its balance sheet. The debt ceiling, Savannah just talked about it, and the reduced budget support post-pandemic as well. Joining us down on the CNBC Newsline to tie all of this together for you is Joyce Chang, J.P. Morgan Chair of Global Research and one of America's bank's most powerful women in finance, 10 years running. Joyce, a real pleasure to have you on. An important day. Thanks for coming on. My first question is very basic. Is the Evergrande Group's debt issue and their interest payment at the end of this week a systemic risk to the Chinese or global banking systems? Well, it's great to be with you, Brian. Evergrande is not a systemic risk, but it is an industry-wide event, and it's not over. So I think you're going to continue to see further risk-off over the next couple of weeks, and there's going to be a focus on reducing leverage. I don't think you're going to see the government being proactive in bailing out, um, in, in bailouts. But the government also, its ultimate goal is to lower systemic risk. Um, and even though this negative um, you know, sentiment is going to continue, I do want to highlight that the property developer loans are only about 7% of total loans in the system. If we take a look at the overall banking sector um, in China, Evergrande's debt is around 1.2 trillion renminbi. That's about 41 basis points of total credits in China. But if you actually look at the total loan loss reserve for the first half of the year, it was 340 mm-hmm. basis points of bank loan compared to the 41 basis points of total credits in China. So I don't think that this is a systemic risk, and I don't think it's a systemic risk to the banking system, but the volatility is going to um, continue. I don't think that we're done with this regulatory tightening um, crusade, and I think the equity volatility will remain high. I'm going to get back to macro China, Joyce, in just a minute, but first a a, a two-parter. Do you and your team anticipate that, Evergrande will miss the upcoming interest payment at the end of this week. And if so, or if not, what happens then? Well, our base case is for a standstill, and we've seen this before. And, and frankly, you know, China had started on this process of allowing more corporate defaults in the past. Um, so this had started a couple of years ago. The surprise is that Evergrande is one of the largest ones. And I do think that, um, you know, Evergrande could be used as an example of what happens when companies, you know, become too big and aggressive in the bond issuing and investing. So I think rather than avoiding a restructuring, um, you know, the, the, I would expect and prepare for um, a standstill. Um, you know, and I think that China usually doesn't present a problem without having some type of solution in mind. So I think that's the type of workout that markets need to anticipate. Um, I, I think that, you know, the one thing that we are looking at is um, just the overall default rate and that rising. Now, we've seen about 6 million of defaults, um, you know, in the China high yield market, you know, about four and a half, nearly 5 percent that market. And I think that number is going to increase um, you know, across the industry. But again, I don't see this as a mm. systemic risk. Just, um, and I think that um, the government um, you know, will um, you know, be able to you know, um, manage this. But I think that this uh, tightening is going to continue yeah. and that you do have to expect a rising default rate. Yeah, it's, it's big money, $300 billion, but to your point, maybe not to the Chinese government, which brings us back to the, maybe the more macro issue, Evergrande aside. And I 
Joyce, I tweeted out yesterday that it, that it appears that if you sort of look at history, China right now in the last 18 months or so is undergoing maybe its greatest political and societal shift since the early to mid-1970s, kind of right under our noses, telling people how long they can play video games, social media, don't list your IPOs in New York, going after CEOs. Does this news give the Chinese government more of a heavy hand and an openness to be able to greater regulate markets, which to your earlier point, they already aggressively are regulating, which could reduce the attractiveness or the growth of the Chinese economy, which could, of course, hurt the global markets. I mean, there's a lot that I just threw out at you there, but I think you probably get my macro point, hopefully. Yeah, well, the key buzzwords are common prosperity as their target. And remember, this is a target that they've laid out to achieve by 2035. And there's a couple of things they're trying to do. They're trying to regulate those sectors that have um, expanded early on. And we've seen this happen in China before. We saw uh, China take actions on the TMT sector, shipping sector early on. So it's the new economy sector. But the other concern is really disposable income and also the social and consumer welfare. And here I think you are going to see more regulation that touches things like health care, transportation, education, you know, like the high tutoring costs, things that um, are very expensive um, for the middle class in China. So what we're going to see is a continued tolerance for short-term pains in exchange for some of these medium-term um, structural gains. And for the third quarter of the year, on a quarterly basis, we have China's growth basically at zero, at flat. You know, that compares to 10% growth in Europe and about 5% in the U.S., which we've taken down a number of times since July. So we are seeing much weaker growth. Now, just looking at real estate, a 5% slowdown in real estate takes about 0.3% off of China's GDP growth. And this is going to have some knock-on effects. Every 1% down in China's growth is about half a percent down in global growth. So, um, you know, I do think that um, we need to be prepared for, um, you know, the third quarter mm. slowdown um, that's underway. But they're going to need to do, I think, more, um, you know, rate cuts um, in October, um, you know, as well, and take some action on the policy side there. Z- yeah, 0.3 percent. Not not the biggest number in the world, but certainly with the economy of their size, it's not nothing as well. I guess what our viewers here watching or listening right now, Joyce, may be wondering is, Does all of what we just talked about have a negative impact on our markets? Are you adjusting your S&P 500 price target for this year or next year? Well, we adjusted the S&P 500 target up, and that's really off of the earnings outlooks. Um, Wow. We expect the S&P 500 to reach 4,700, took it up from 4,600 by the end of the year, and surpassed 5,000 next year on better-than-expected earnings. And it's been all about the earnings. Um, so, you know, I still would say the key to all of this is that, um, you know, as we look at the Delta variant in 90 percent of the states, we see the um, infection rate actually coming down. So we don't see permanent demand destruction here. And we're positive on the equity market outlook. So we've raised the S&P 500 target. We've also raised our EPS estimates from 205 to 210 for um, 2021 and from 230 to 240 for 2022. So, you know, I would not see this impacting the U.S. market. Now, all of that said, we've taken down third quarter U.S. growth to 5%. Mm-hmm. I mean, back in July, we had this at 9.5%, so that's four percentage points down. But that's still a very healthy number. Um, and um, we do see that the business cycle momentum, you know, where um, consumer demand is at, 
household savings, the corporate balance sheet, are still very supportive of a business cycle that is certainly not in a late phase. I mean, it's still one that has momentum from here. Yeah. Raising the target up, thankfully, as COVID cases and hospitalizations come down, particularly in the South, coming down strong. Maybe a little good news. Joyce Chang of J.P. Morgan, a real pleasure to have you on, Joyce. An important day. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. All right, you're very welcome. Welcome back anytime. All right, when we come back, the Universal Music Saga ending on a high note as its new shares soars. The other side, a rough ride for Activision Blizzard as regulators stepping up their scrutiny on the company. And then, despite the big Monday meltdown, one group of stocks actually took off, and it might just be a pretty good sign in many ways. A little optimism. It's your RBI. It's ahead. Dow Futures up 300. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. It is time now for your big money movers, the three key stock stories of the day. Let's go. Stock number one. Activision Blizzard, the Wall Street Journal reporting the SEC is reportedly launching a wide-ranging investigation into the company. That includes how the video game maker handled employees' allegations of sexual misconduct and workplace discrimination. Despite that, the stock not reacting. It's actually up a little bit. Stock two is actually a group of stocks. A couple of home builders. First up, D.R. Horton lowering its sales guidance. It is blaming a shortage of building supplies and workers which hurt its ability to, quote, meet strong new home demand. This is Lennar reported mixed results for its latest quarter. The company says it also faced supply chain constraints, hampering its ability to sell as many homes as it had targeted to this quarter. Shares there down about over 3%. And stock number three, Universal Music. Shares surging in their public market debut in Europe. It is the largest listing in Europe of the year. It is the company behind artists like... Lady Gaga and Taylor Swift, and it opened at over 29 bucks per share. It's come down from that, but still up 35%. Perhaps a giant win for the billionaire, Bill Ackman. All right, still on deck. It is day two of our two-week special series, Go Big or Just Go Home. Our top stock pickers lay out their best plays for the rest of the year just for you. You're going to hear what David Katz likes heading into October but only if you keep it here, right on Worldwide Exchange. Today's big number, 13.4%. That was the growth in the number of billionaires around the world in 2020, 
topping 3,000 individuals for the first time ever, according to a report from WealthX. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check down on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with those. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. President Biden is in New York City ahead of his first speech to the U.N. as president. Mr. Biden started his busy week of diplomacy by meeting with the U.N. Secretary General. He is expected to try and rally world leaders to work together on COVID, climate change and other challenges. But the president must also defend the chaotic exit from Afghanistan. Federal agents swarmed the Florida home of Brian Laundrie the day after human remains matching his fiancée, Gabrielle Petito, were found in Wyoming. Laundrie's mother and father were escorted away by agents after their son vanished nearly a week ago. Laundrie was named a person of interest in Petito's disappearance days before a body was discovered in Wyoming. Investigators have not yet released a cause of death. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has won a third term, but his party fell short of winning a majority in parliamentary elections as he had hoped. He acknowledged that he will once again have to work with opposition legislators as the country works to emerge from the pandemic. Well, the Packers and Lions wrapped up week two on Monday Night Football. Jared Goff looking to hand Green Bay their second straight loss. Don Quintus Cephas in the end zone for the early score. They went back and forth in the first half, but the second half belonged to the Packers. In particular, Aaron Jones caught three touchdowns and ran one in, and the Packers ran away from the Lions 35-17. to Brian, we'll send it back to you. Game started. I was 42 points up on my fantasy football rival. I went to bed. I woke up. I won the week by .8. He had Aaron Jones. He got like 42 points. What a showing up there at Lambeau Field. Francis, there thank you. There you go. Absolutely, Brian. Four. Yeah. Yeah, four touchdowns. You go, UTEP. All right. On deck, why did the markets really sell off on Monday? Here's a hint. Despite the headlines, it wasn't just Evergrande. There was a lot more going on, and we'll tell you about it coming up here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. Dow Futures up 300. Bit of a bounce back Tuesday. Stick around. It's looking like a bounce back Tuesday. Futures, they are higher after Monday's big sell-off. Investors may look to buy the dip. But who exactly is the Evergrande Group, China's sudden debt threat, and what is the real risk to global markets? We've got a live report from Beijing coming up. And Jeff Bezos pledging to give away $1 billion to one cause this year. Here's a hint. Think oceans. It is Tuesday, September 21st. And this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning. It's 528 here on the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. Get a cup of coffee. There is a lot going on. Let's get right now to your morning money and see if we are getting more follow through selling after Monday's big sell off. We are not. Futures, they are higher. Not where they were, not what we lost. Dow futures up 307, just over 1%. So maybe look to regain about half 
of our 650-point drop. Now, markets, as you know, maybe you were under a rock, who knows, took a big tumble on Monday. The major averages all ending down nearly 2%, the Dow down more than 650 points. There was one potential upside to it all. We ended well off our lows of the day. Buyers really streaming in in the last 15 to 20 minutes of the market. In fact, the Dow closed 300 points off its low from the session. And strategists rushing to the rescue. For one, J.P. Morgan Chase's Marco Kalanovic saying, writing in a note to clients, quote, our fundamental thesis remains unchanged and we see the sell-off as an opportunity to buy the dip. Just one of many strategists coming out and saying, we are optimistic longer term. So why the big move on Monday? Well, it kind of depends on who you ask. The debt crisis at China's second biggest property developer, the Evergrande Group, grabbed all the headlines. But there were also some technical or options-related moves happening underneath the hood that might have exacerbated to the selling. We will get more on that with Chris Murphy of Susquehanna in just a minute. But right now, to that story, the latest developments out of China. The global investment world is watching. The sudden debt crisis around Chinese real estate developer Evergrande Group It is the most indebted company in the world, and it has a huge debt payment due later on this week or risk default. Let's get more now on the story. Day two, learn more about Evergrande. Eunice Shun is live in Beijing with that. Eunice. Thanks, Brian. Well, the company's chairman, as well as other property developers, are going all out to try to calm investors and boost market sentiment. In a letter to staff today, uh, the um, in the state media had picked up this letter that was written by the chairman saying that Evergrande would walk out of its darkest moment very soon and resume full-scale constructions of its property projects as soon as possible. Now, other property developers are also trying to prove their financial strength. For example, the co-founders of a mid-sized firm, RNF, said that they are injecting $1 billion of their own capital into the company. That's going to start on Tuesday. They also said that they sold their property management business to rival country garden. Other property developers, a lot of them smaller and mid-sized, announced share purchases or bond redemptions early. Again, all in an effort to try to boost confidence around the property sector. Fears, though, remain, as you can imagine, of a contagion within the property sector. Um, The fate of Cynic is a top trending topic on Chinese social media. And this is after shares of the smaller company tanked by 90%, Brian, remain suspended. Um, S&P downgraded the company and also made some comments, which again spooked investors saying that uh, they believe that Beijing would not provide any direct support to Evergrande unless there is a far-reaching contagion. And talk to us, Eunice, a little more about Evergrande. I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend that I knew anything about him before this. Absolutely not. I'd heard the name in passing. That saw their signs in Hong Kong. That's about it. They are giant, one and a half million apartments, but they've also got a wealth management division. They've gotten into things like electric cars, auto sales. Talk to us a little more about just who Evergrande is and maybe how they got to this position. Well, they got to the position uh, because they borrowed so much money and expanded. So this is kind of a typical 
um, uh, style of company here where you see um, a company that does quite well in its core business, such as real estate in this uh, particular example, and then um, use that um, that money and that, that those connections to be able to expand into other areas. Uh, you mentioned that the company had uh, gone into EVs. At one point, the billionaire founder had a brag that uh, he believed that the company could take on Tesla. Uh, there, he also has uh, gone into bottled water. Uh, he's gone into um, the internet, internet services as as well as um, soccer. In fact, the billionaire founder is said to be to share a lot of the the same. Um, um, interests as President Xi Jinping, since both of them have been um, very interested in soccer. So uh, the company expanded way too much, uh, very, very leveraged. And uh, once Beijing's policy started to change, where, uh, where uh, uh, the Chinese government said, we don't want companies, especially in the private sector, to be borrowing so much money. We have these three red lines. Yeah. Uh, we want to make sure that you are able to meet. And once the company wasn't able to meet those those lines anymore, it started to run into trouble. Well, that debt payment coming up later this week, that is a big story as well. You're all over it. We appreciate it. Eunice Shing in Beijing. Thank you, Eunice. All right. Well, we told you a moment ago that Jeff Bezos was planning to donate one billion bucks to one cause. So let's find out where that cause is and get a few other headlines happening right now. Savannah Hanau is back with those. Savannah. Thanks, Brian. Ryan Robinhood is reportedly testing a new crypto wallet and cryptocurrency transfer features. Bloomberg says these updates to the app would let users send and receive digital currencies. Paul Singer's Elliott Management has reportedly cut its stake in SoftBank Group. The New York Post says the hedge fund has made as much as $500 million from the sale. And Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is pledging to give away $1 billion in grants this year to support conservation efforts. This is part of the Bezos Earth Fund, which is his $10 billion commitment to those supporting and addressing climate change. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. A billion dollars going to oceans, <laughs> yep. and I think it was the the tropical Congo region or something like this. Silvana, yes, thank there's you. There's a couple of places it's going to. Yeah, a couple of places like that. All right, <laughs> now, to day two of our special series, Go Big or Go Home, where we're trying to find you some money make op- opportunities to round out the year. Here with that, and dare we say some random but interesting stats on the market, is... Matrix Asset Advisors Chief Investment Officer, David Katz. David, it's a pleasure to have you back on again as well. And I'm going to read some of these stats because I almost stole them for the RBI. But then I said, I can't do that to David. These are his numbers. We're just going to let him do it. This is amazing. You have noted that because we were all kind of waiting for this 5% pullback. We, we talked about it incessantly. We've, we actually got it just off the highs. You said there were 34 market pullbacks of more than 5% going back to 1993. But of those times, what has happened later on? Give us a little, a little bit of deep stock market history to make us feel a bit better about what happened yesterday. Well, that's the surprising thing. The corrections happen. They're pretty quick. They typically take three to four months. And the recoveries also are pretty quick, maybe four to five months. Of the 34 corrections, and three of them were big bear markets, 31 were fairly modest, and you had fully gone back to the highs within about three or four months. We think that's going to be the case this time. We don't expect a bear market. So what we're saying is this is a very good time to buy the dips. 
at the lows yesterday, the market was off 5%. So that's been a year since you've had that type of correction. Uh, we think it's safe to start to go back in the water if you had money on the sidelines and were looking to put some money to work. There are a lot of stocks that are also down more than 10%. So we think there are a lot of very good opportunities out there right now. Uh, we're going to be talking about some stock picks later. We're much more excited about stocks today than we were uh, a few weeks ago. And we think there's some really good opportunities if you have a six to 12 month time frame. I love the data. The average drop about 12.8%. We may, we may continue to go down, David, right? I mean, it's not like we might just say, okay, the all clear and that was it. But you're investing for the long term and a name like Qualcomm is one of the names that is topping your list. So Qualcomm is a great technology company. They are in the guts of every cell phone in terms of 5G, great play. They're also going to be in automobiles and a lot of other areas of industrials over the next few years. You're buying it at about 16 times earnings. Uh, very, very powerful franchise. Great price. Another one. You know, we've talked a little bit about, I don't want to call them, what do we call them, mid-major banks. They're not J.P. Morgan. They're not Morgan Stanley. But we've had a lot of people on this show talking about the PNCs and the truests of the world. You like another name, U.S. Bancorp. Again, huge company, but again, just doesn't seem to get the market attention like the big dogs. Well, even the big dogs aren't getting a lot of respect these days. Right now, U.S. Bancorp is a top 10 bank. Very, very powerful franchise, generating great deal of money, uh, pretty diversified, and you're buying it at 11 times earnings with a 3.3% yield. Banks have done well this year. We think they have another 12 to 18 months of very good returns. U.S. Bancorp has done well, but it's recently pulled back. Again, great entry point, uh, very good outlook, especially if the economy is improving, which we're very comfortable with. Inflation's kicking up, and we do believe interest rates are going higher. That'll give them a little bit of a tailwind. Yeah, and maybe the media company with the most sort of – you could actually write a Viacom movie or series about the internecine warfare and drama around Viacom. It seems to be stabilizing after about 10 years of tumult. Is that one of the reasons you like VIAC or something else, David? Well, we think they have a very good streaming strategy, which is going to take hold. We think that the CEO is doing a, a really good job in running the business, and they're selling it about nine times earnings. So this is a very good franchise. It's all about eyeballs. They've got great product. Uh, and at nine times earnings, we think you're going to do very well with it. Had a great run earlier this year. We had owned it. We sold it. We bought it back and, and really are pretty upbeat. We think the stock easily has 50% upside as an independent company. Wow. Uh, we think it's going to do a lot better. Uh, but we also think there is ultimately a chance that they could get acquired. Both ways you win. Uh, David, you've been coming on CNBC forever, and I'm not sure I've ever heard you say 50% upside. So Viacom is a name we are watching, along with U.S. Bank Corp. and Qualcomm. David, thanks for being a guest on this and also our special series. Have a great day, David. Great to be here. Have a nice day. Thanks. All right, YouTube, just a reminder, folks, all week long and next week, we're doing that go big or go home. We are finding opportunity for you. All right. Up next, was Monday's sell-off really all because of China and Evergrande or, or maybe something else under the hood of the markets? Susquehanna's Chris Murphy is here to help make you a little smarter. Stock futures up 325. We'll come back. We're back right after this. The growing debt crisis with China's Evergrande Group certainly dominated all the headlines on Monday and is widely being blamed for why we sold off. But 
Is that entirely true? The Dow, remember, was down three weeks in a row heading into yesterday, and other averages were showing some sign of exhaustion as well. So let's try to figure out exactly what went on and look a little more under the hood and bring in Chris Murphy. He is co-head of Derivative Strategy at Susquehanna. His research notes, always a must-read. Chris, great to have you on. I appreciate it. I know it's early. Uh, When we look at the entirety of what happened, was it all China or was it China plus other stuff? Hey, Brian. Uh, yeah, I certainly think it was China plus other stuff. It was great to be able to um, to point to one thing for the sell-off yesterday. But, you know, keep in mind that um, expiration on Friday uh, was one of the biggest expirations of all time. That's a huge liquidity event. Uh, and then you turn the page to Monday, much less liquidity uh, on the back of that event. So, you know, so that could be having an impact. Like I said, enough, enough has been weighing in on markets and we shouldn't really be surprised to see a move like we saw yesterday. Um, it felt like more of a shock because we hadn't seen one in so long, but it was not even a one standard deviation move by the end of the day. Uh, we haven't had a two standard deviation. I'm sorry, it wasn't even a two standard deviation move by the end of the day. Uh, we haven't had a two standard deviation move in over seven months. Uh, we would expect to see you know five or six over that type of a span. So really, it was partly the surprise of the move. Um, because we haven't seen a move like that in a while. Um, But it should be somewhat expected to see a move like that from time to time. And and that's it. And and I know I've bored our viewers to, you know, to tears the last few years talking about things like market structure, negative gamma options positioning. It's 545 in the morning. I know nobody probably wants to hear it as they're waking up. But when you look at the way the market has gone up without these big drops, of course, minus the COVID thing that was its own thing, just this steady climb up. How did the options positioning factor into all of this? This idea of negative gamma, gamma, just the rate of change of price movements. How did options positioning factor into the speed of this decline? And and by the way, the other ones that we have seen the last few years. Sure. Um, Well, you know, Buying calls, long calls, that's been a real popular strategy, you know, as investors, retail or institutional are buying calls. And it's mostly on the equity level, but obviously that has a huge impact as they're buying calls um, and market makers are selling them. Then the market makers go out and buy stock. Now, that's a gradual, slow process. You see those types of grinding moves higher. Um, However, when the market does sell off, all of a sudden, you know, if those uh, calls that the market makers are short, are not in the money anymore, then the market makers all at the same time have to go out there and sell some stocks. So you suddenly can see those sharp moves lower um, on the down days um, because, you know, invest, uh, market makers are unwinding their positions. Uh, and that, you know, juxtaposes with the very slow grind higher incrementally as investors are buying calls on the way up. This is a really, really important point that you are making, because when you look at the way that market structure, whether it's the algos, the market makers, ETFs, options, has evolved in really just the last five years, is that kind of, Chris, going forward, our new reality? And I was thinking, I was trying to explain it to my family last night. I I, I don't know, this is maybe stupid. Tell me. I describe it as a treadmill, right, with a slight incline. You're kind of plodding away on this treadmill with a slight incline, and every once in a while, You fall off. You know, you catch a shoelace and you go down. The new market is kind of like that, that the idea that we're going to grind higher, have a sharp, steep, fast, maybe embarrassing drop, grind higher. 
Is that kind of our new reality? Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly something to that. I think there's the argument that, you know, there really is nowhere else to go if you look at, you know, U.S. Treasury yields and, and what, you know, other places that you can, can put your money besides the stock market right now. So, you know, that's a part of it. You know, you don't want to be the last person out the door when we do have those sell-offs. Um, and, you know, you mentioned it's early, so we don't want to dig too much into market skew, but that's the way that um, S&P skew is pricing the market very uh, relatively low volatility right around uh, the options that are right around where the market's trading, but further out of the money down on the downside, that volatility is very high. And it's almost like the market's telling you, okay, nine times out of 10 or 98 times out of 100, the dip is going to be bought. Yep. Um, but that one or two times that the dip, that it breaks through the dip buyers, we can see some real uh, moves downside. And as you pointed out in a note, the, there was some very bullish activity late day in the market with buyers coming in to names like Twitter, Morgan Stanley, certainly and others. Chris Murphy, you make us smarter. We appreciate getting up early and coming on, Chris. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, you're welcome. All right, on deck. Your morning RBI and what happened inside the stock market Monday that may actually be some good news ahead, something you're only going to hear here on Worldwide Exchange. And then John Nigerian, he is here. We'll talk more about the market and options and what they flagged a few days ago that might have actually been a little bit of a crystal ball into the move. Oh, by the way, there's that guy. Follow the podcast. Worldwide Exchange is the name. Dow Futures up 340. We're back right after this. All right, time now for your morning RBI, and this one will stay smack dab on the markets. What else, given what happened on Monday? And you heard a lot about the sell-off. But today's most random but interesting thing is something you may not have heard about yesterday, and it may actually be a bit of a good sign. That's right. During the sell-off on Monday, only 50 S&P 500 stocks rose, a dismal 10% showing. But you got to look at which stocks ended in the green. Pretty much all the airlines and travel stocks, American Airlines, Delta, United, Southwest, as well as Expedia and Booking Holdings, they all gained on Monday on what was no doubt a lousy tape. American Airlines up 3%. So why should you care? Well, maybe two reasons. Number one, transports like these are generally considered leading indicators, so it could be a good sign ahead. Plus, these are super consumer discretionary names. And with the recent rise and talk of COVID, some folks have gotten nervous. But both COVID cases and hospitalizations, they are trending down. They're both down 8%. Florida hospitalizations down 32% in just two weeks. Some of the other hard-hit states are also seeing a rollover in the South. The point is, the market move Monday may have, hopefully, hinted at some better days ahead and some maybe some good things to come. We're going to find out. But the travel names, they all rose. Random and hopefully interesting. All right, the always interesting John Najarian joining us now. He is the co-founder of Market Rebellion, CNBC contributor, and all-around smart and good man. John, you just heard our conversation with Chris Murphy. We talked your world, options. You guys and your team flagged, I think, four days ago some underlying moves and things like the Russell 2000 ETF that may have been a bit of a mm -hmm. signal. What did you see 
And what did it tell you? Sure. Well, um, so uh, last Friday, uh, Brian, and Chris was right about a couple things, by the way, uh, one of which was that that expiration Friday was huge. And that means that a lot of people, unless they rolled the positions into this week, Brian, or further out, didn't have either A, protection, or B, uh, you know, bets on either to the upside or downside uh, that would play out this week. Those positions expired on Friday last week. Now, what didn't expire was a big purchase of about 60,000 of the IWM puts. Now, these puts were purchased at the 220. Uh, 218 strike, uh, and they went deep in the money. In fact, you more than tripled your money on those 60,000 puts. That's a big trade, multi-million dollar winner. Um, now, did somebody just need protection, or did they think maybe something this week would play out the way it did yesterday? Certainly, these one-day events are uh, becoming more and more common. Uh, we used to always say there are no one-day events, but lately, Brian, it's been just that. Now, one other trade that happened that was pretty big uh, was the end of August. Somebody bought an awful lot of puts, the uh, rather calls, mm. 90,000 of the VIX calls. Now, those calls, of course, go up in value when volatility or fear goes up. And that's exactly what happened on a day like yesterday. The VIX for those November futures was about 17 and a half. It shot through 25 yesterday. So another big winner. People had some positions on, but to Chris Murphy's point, perhaps not yeah. as many positions as they needed to protect these multi-billion dollar portfolios, Brian. Well, you might have heard my albeit terrible treadmill analogy, John, about the way the markets work and then occasionally <laughs> they crash. You know, it was all like, give me a break. It's early. You know, we talk about these one day events you just mentioned. If you're a market participant mm -hmm. now. That's what that's your new reality, correct? Because the way the market structure has changed, you've got to be willing to deal with not slow grinds down, but slow grinds up a big drop, slow grinds up a big drop, correct? Yeah. And conversely, a, uh, a big drop and followed by a big jump the very next day. I mean, you know, these kind of moves, these dead cat bounces were um, far more rare uh, just a couple of years ago. But uh, especially g given that we've got the Fed meeting tomorrow, Brian, um, and a lot of us feel that the Fed will stay on the sidelines, not start that taper until the November meeting, means that you just had to get through to Wednesday. Uh, that was your oxygen tank if you were deep underwater. You were just hoping you had enough oxygen to reach uh, Wednesday because you're hoping then that the Fed does exactly that and the markets calm down significantly on Wednesday. And it looks like, to your point, John, we may get that sort of violent snapback as well. Dow futures up 350. Always love your insight. Great flag on those options. John Nigerian, Market Rebellion. John, a pleasure. Talk soon, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right, folks, a very different worldwide exchange. Yesterday, we left you with the Dow futures down big. Today, the Dow futures are up. It's going to be another wild day on the street. We will see you tomorrow as well. Squawk of the gang will pick up all the coverage. Have an awesome Tuesday. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. 
And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.